In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The Bible is a vast and varied collection of books. And as a result, there are portions and themes that are operative or accessible that make a difference in the lives of the hearers in their time and place. And for any group of people, there are some that seem less so. These sections differ by who you are and where you live. If you go to a Pentecostal church, parts of the Bible that may deal with speaking in tongues or healings are on the operative list. But for some of us here, less so this morning. Some are just plain hard to hear for everybody. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out is on the inoperative side of the board for most Christians in most times. We do well to try to hear what is hard for us to hear. That is a legitimate purpose of preaching. Just the same for modern liberal-minded Westerners on the general no-fly list are angels and the end of the world and sometimes the reality of martyrs seems distant too. To be sure, the books that could be found in Barnes and Noble on the angel front are many, although many of the beliefs found therein are not Christian. And the latter, the end of the world is at hand. We may associate that with someone eccentric with a placard in the park. But truth be told, both of those themes, angels and the end of all things, they are utterly central to the book of Revelation. I can go one better. Modern New Testament scholarship, wherever you teach it or learn it or study about it, has for more than a century been all about the rediscovery of the expectation of the end of the world and every single verse in the New Testament is marinated in it. Take, for example, Jesus' prayer, which he has taught to us. Father, let your kingdom come. May that day when the world conforms to your will come soon. Let us start acting now, forgiving as if that day had come. Spare us from the trials of the end time. It is the doctrine of the last things, the Lord's Prayer beginning to end. Why do I mention all this? Because Revelation 5 is the grand scene at the end of the world, the last act at the end of the age. And if that is true, then we can this morning draw three conclusions at least, which bear on the end of things, and also on the Christian faith as a whole and our lives with three footnotes added at the end. When I was a rector teaching adult confirmation class, I liked to ask the members of the class, as a Christian, are you an optimist or a pessimist? Maybe I should try that this morning with a show of hands. You could answer in your own head there. Usually my class was evenly split, though only in the subsequent conversation did we get a sense of how the as-a-Christian part played in more than just personality type. 
Some protested that it was a trick question, which is partially true. For in a deep sense, and especially when we read Revelation, the answer is that we as Christians are pessimistic optimists. That is point number one. For the scene in chapter 5 is the Bible's conclusive act. The heavenly choir of saints and angels, they, someday we, are exultant, attributing to the king power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. But were you to thumb a page or two further on, a chapter or two on, and you will find fire, flood, famine, plague, and the death of most of humanity. The description there is reminiscent of the plagues of Egypt and also of the disasters awaiting the exiles in Daniel chapter 7 where monsters climb out of the slime to wreak disaster. According to Daniel, that is where history is going. In later history, we can think of such events as the bubonic plague, the Holocaust, and the killing fields. Things aren't that bad in much of the world today, some places they are, but it is easy for all of us to feel a foreboding about the world our grandchildren will inhabit. Things, according to Revelation 5, are going to get much better but only after they get much worse. So says Revelation and so we believe because we as Christians know that we are humans in God's image and that we are all of us profoundly corrupt at one and the same time. Versions of reality that leave one side or the other out are not really gospel. God's son died for us, alleluia. And we are the kind of creature for whom nothing less than that would suffice. What good is such a darkly bright message? We can say at least this, that those who reject the gospel must not do so because it is wearing blinders. It is Pollyanna-ish. If they think that, they have not heard its claim. Here is another question I could ask my adult confirmation class. Is it true that only the dying can really hear the gospel? Is it only in extremis that we really hear its offer, whether we respond to it or not? Remember that in the heavenly choir are the saints murdered for their faith, whose blood, according to Revelation, cries out, how long? from under the altar, and whose robes are washed white in the blood of the Lamb. They are the blessed martyrs of Uganda and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and more recently South Sudan, and yet more recently Sri Lanka. We admire them. Perhaps they seem far from us. The point is not just that they were brave. It is that they were better able to hear the gospel for this reason, that all the small things you and I worry about melted away. In a comparable way, what matters and what is really real comes clearer sometimes when we face illness or loss. 
In the martyr's case, the name of Jesus is in that picture as well, when we face those things with Jesus in the forefront. The heavenly choir in Revelation is the real church that then shines forth. In such a choir, the great reversal has taken place. By that I mean Jesus saying that you, lo- you gain your life as you lose it, the last shall become first, and that when all is purged away, only faith, hope, and love remain. In that place, only leaning on God remains to us, and we see on what life has depended all along, whether we noticed it or not. So yes, secondly, According to Revelation 5, only the dying can hear gospel. But of course, the dying is all of us. And of course, Jesus opens any ear he chooses to open. Dreams do not necessarily carry spiritual import, I think. Dreams may also bespeak anxiety or indigestion. But there are some dreams that do speak to us, and the Bible says that. Think with me about, I I have had these, I'm sure you have, dreams where something is obscured. There is a masked figure you can't see. You are walking to a destination you don't know. There is a vaguely ominous feel. Now, if you want to understand Revelation 5, you have to understand how deeply St. John whose vision it was, has been formed by the vision of the prophet Daniel, including, as I mentioned, chapter 7, hundreds of years before. There in Daniel, as I said, the woes take the form of monsters. The saints are persecuted. Deliverance comes. The one who delivers ascends to the Father, no less. The song we heard in Revelation is actually a quote from the Daniel hymnal about wisdom and might and glory and power. But the figure at the center, the main actor in the final drama of all human history, all the Bible, called the Son of Man, in Daniel his face is still obscured. You don't know who that is yet. Nor do we yet know how. What way, what strange way he will bring power and glory and draw all the nations, which is to say us, to himself. Now, third, thanks to the New Testament, the veil is removed. The name is affixed. The way of salvation is clear. Now the drama has a main actor. Until now, it was a hero's tale without the hero. You could say something similar about every human heart. Each has its own dream of its own salvation, a dream which is also twisted and fractured, as all dreams are. And on our own, we cannot yet see the face. We can go a step further. Everything else in the choir scene and what ensues are secondary, all of it. Saints, angels, demons, woes, times, scenery, company actors doing their bit parts. The scene is all about the protagonist, Jesus Christ. The whole plot boils down in all of human history into the wounded lamb prevails. 
on behalf of his children who are also wounded and now redeemed. All the times, all the plots converge on his head. The one and only thing the book is about, the whole book, book of Revelation, the Bible is Jesus who holds the keys of death and hell. And in this, in spite of its florid imagery, it is no different revelation than all the rest of the New Testament. The scene not only shocks us with its singular focus, but also with its vast expanse. This is a wide tableau. I have read that in the moment you and I die, we will see our whole life running before our eyes. Well, humanity's whole life runs before its eyes, and this takes place, says Revelation, in the sole company of Jesus, the wounded lamb. And as if, as if that were not enough, the angels in the choir tell us something more. The whole cosmos, everything, the vast expanse of interstellar space, the realities we can't see, the physical and the intellectual, the whole cosmos in which that recently photographed black hole 35 million light years wide is as nothing all of that backdrop to the victory of Jesus. Not only Lord of our personal religious life, but of everything and all truth in its finality. Angels are part of the skeletal structure of reality, but they are also creatures, a dimension of which we as yet know little. But Revelation, it tells us this, completely focused incalculably vast, all of this corresponding to the claim that the wounded lamb prevails. Pessimistically optimistic, populated first of all by martyrs, vast and singularly focused on King Jesus. That is the heavenly choir. And all human life, including yours, is moving inexorably toward it. Let me close with several notes about the service this morning that help illustrate this point. For the Eucharist is deliberately imagining that you and I this morning are drawn into the scene of Revelation 5. That's its point. The Orthodox paint their ceilings to look like heaven, blue with stars, because that's where the Eucharist takes you. And that is why the words of Isaiah in chapter 6, the temple suddenly filled with the robe of the utterly holy God and the angels covering themselves so as not to be incinerated, saying, holy, 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 that is why we sing that here. We are being drawn, thanks to the resurrection, into the heavenly choir for a moment surrounded by angels, archangels, and the company of heaven, just as Revelation 5 says, our service this morning, a dry run and a walkthrough. So in this light, let me note three surprises. First of all, in that choir, symbolically, we are told that we are to pray at all times and in all places. Really? the cancer clinic, the courtroom, the Congo, everywhere. Because 
before the wounded lamb at the end, we are pessimistic optimists. Second, if we listen carefully, the verb tenses are confusing. Jesus has already brought us out of error into truth. Now, today, out of sin into righteousness, even now, out of death into life. But a moment later, we pray that the Holy Spirit will, in the fullness of time, at the end of things, bring us to the heavenly country. Lord, when will these things come to pass, now or at the end of humanity's journey? When do I enter that choir, now or later? The answer is yes. Thirdly, you and I are invited this morning shortly to be bold enough to say the Lord's Prayer. Since when does saying a prayer require boldness? Well, it does here, because this is his prayer, his prayer to his Abba, his Heavenly Father, about his passing through the great trial so as to accomplish salvation. Who are we to take his prayer on our lips? That is the boldness he gives us. Revelation 5 is his drama, but saying the Lord's Prayer amounts to an, amounts to an invitation to us to be part of the dramatis personae walking in his train with a spot stage left. And to suppose that you and I will be there through that door that only he can open is boldness indeed. And what can we say of the liturgy? We can also say about our individual and collective lives since the liturgy is an image of them thanks to John's vision, an image of where you and I are headed now laid bare. Amen.